veganism will continue to grow because it is necessary for the survival of humanity. And as people learn that and they are more open-minded about it and they want to contribute positively to society in a more conscious way, we will see veganism and plant-based diets become mm. the new norm. Save the planet and make it heal. You can help by eating a vegan meal. Come join us if you're vegan curious. So hi, my name's Ashley. And I'm Sarah. And together we are Vegan, vegan curious. curious. I'm sure our introductions get worse as time goes by, actually. No, they're getting better and better with every single episode. Okay. Every episode that goes by, we okay. just become more and more charming. So we have um, a packed episode today. We have. We've got a bunch of stuff coming up on today's show. Um, first, uh, we're going to be talking about what we've been scoffing, as we always do. Um then we're going to be talking uh, a little bit about what we're curious about this week, which involves Burger King and uh, China's appetite for vegan food. And then we're going to be going straight into speaking to two guests that we've got coming up on today's show. Um, Ash, who have we spoken to today? So we've got uh, well, people from two companies that have you know done pretty well in the lockdown, I think. So. One is Tammy Fry, who's from Fry's Family Foods, who, um, if you've been a vegan a long time or you're, a, you know, you'll know that they've been, they've been making vegan food longer than pretty much anybody really. Um, and then also we've got Louise Palmer Masterson and she is the CEO of Stem and Glory. So Stem and Glory is a fantastic, uh, vegan restaurant originally from Cambridge, but now is also in London. And, you know, she's going to explain how they started, what they do, and what their expansion plans are. So, loads of good stuff. Okay, so let's go into what we've been scoffing, uh, which is my favourite part of every single episode, almost without fail. Talking about food, who would have thought? Exactly. Um, So, come on then, tell me. Tell me what you've been scoffing. Okay, so what I thought I'd do this week was... Uh, you've got to guess what I've been scoffing. So by the reviews on the Sainsbury's website of this particular product. Okay. Oh, my God. So are you ready? Okay. Uh, yep. Okay. So first first review says, horrible. Even the cat wouldn't eat it, so I had to throw it away. Um, second one, it's disgusting and shouldn't be sold. Uh <laughs> Third one, this tasted nothing like uh, 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 and is very unpleasant. <laughs> um, looks like cat food, but even the cats would not eat it. Plus described as in spring water, but they have added sea salt. Um, and the last one is, pick this up, not realising that it was not real, uh, uh, but plant-based. I don't think I've ever smelt or seen anything so vile. An insult, plants, uh, uh, and vegetarians. Don't make the same mistake as it comes up on the same page with regular uh-uh. The labelling should be all clear. So what am I talking about, Sarah Collins? What got all those glowing reviews on Facebook? Oh, my God, it sounds horrendous. Would, there was loads of cat references. Yeah. As if, like, is, it, is it cat fish? Well, it's no. not cat fish. Is it's it something humans eat. Fish, some, some sort of fit, fake fish. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're getting there. Any ideas? What fake fish it might be? Uh, someone said it was in spring war tuna. 
tuna. Absolutely. So those were reviews for the Lomo Tuno, not tuna, Tuno in spring water, 142 grams in a can, which is one pound from Sainsbury's. So it's like kind of weird because I was searching for um, just vegan stuff and I saw it and I read the reviews and I thought, do you know what? I've got to try it. I have so got to try it. I mean, I used to like tuna quite a lot, but it was a very long time ago. So I have no idea what tuna, you know, I really... Anyway, so I got it. It didn't smell too bad. Uh, I put a load of mayonnaise. I know you're a big mayonnaise fan, Sarah. Um, And lots of vinegar on it and put it in a sandwich. And guess what? You thought it tasted like cat food and you couldn't get the cat to eat it. No, it was fine. You know, it was totally fine. You know, I just think because on the tin, it just looks like real tuna. And I just think basically people have mistakenly bought it thinking it's tuna. but. Um, it's i think it's one of those it's each to their own it's maybe the marmite of vegan fake fish you know i think some people won't like it um it's it's quite slimy i do you know what i've never had fake tuna haven't you actually no because like you previously tuna sandwiches was one of my favorite sandwiches and you know it was tuna is quite delicious sorry everyone um uh but so I think I probably might choose not to go near it just in case I hated it. But it sounds like it's had some fairly mixed reviews. Uh, but you you liked it and you ate it and yeah. you didn't feed it to the cat. So, I, so I, I'm right. sticking up for it. You know, Lomo, more power to you. And I will be buying it again. And I will get around to putting a review uh, saying something condescending like, if you bought this thinking it was tuna, you probably just need to read the labels a bit more yourself. But there you go. But yeah, so that was that. And then the other thing I've been scoffing, I went to um, Kingfisher. Do you know Kingfisher? Uh, No. Okay. So bearing in mind we're in lockdown, so you can't go too far. It's actually in Hackney. It's a fish and chip shop, but it's opposite the Spread Eagle, which was the pub that kind of went. Oh, I love the Spread Eagle. Oh, miss it. Open soon, Spread Eagle. Um, But yeah, so Kingfisher do like loads of, they've got a massive vegan menu. Uh, and intriguingly, they do fish uh, like a, a, a vegan cod thing, which I didn't have. I had the sausages because that's what I wanted, which were amazing in batter, really good. That I think that was soya-based. But the fish, I said to the woman, uh, is it tofu? And she looked at me like I was crazy. And I said, oh, is it banana blossom? And she said, no, banana blossom is disgusting. Uh, obviously in the same it, it is, you know to be fair, it is quite disgusting. Oh, I like it. What are you talking about? Um, and then... Uh, <laughs> Um, but so it's some sort of grain thing, but I, you know, I need to report back because I, I didn't didn't have it. But next time I will have it, and I'll tell you if I found the holy grail of vegan fish. Vegan but, fish. So it's, it's a vegan fish and chip shop, right? The the whole thing's vegan, is it? No. So there they do, you know, uh, like have a standard chip shop fair. So it's like Sutton's. Oh, so it's fairly, yeah. it, it's like Sutton's, but they've obviously sensed the market being in Hackney that there are a load of vegans around and it was great and the chips were good. So, you know, I'll definitely be going back there. Lockdown permitting. Well, I, I had um, a bit of a sweet tooth uh, this week. Okay. Um, and my, my excuse is that um, it was my husband's birthday, so I thought I'd, I'd get him some sort of patisserie. Okay. Um, I didn't want to get a cake because I thought actually having a whole cake is a bit of a disaster when there's only two of you um, because I didn't want to end up being half a cake. So I ordered some cookies 
but they're not just any old cookies. I order some cookies from Floozies. Okay. Um, which sounds uh, posh, but then you are from Tring. But yeah, yeah, brilliant name. Yeah, I mean, brilliant name for a cookie place. But um, so it's based in Covent Garden, but they do London-wide delivery. Okay. Um, importantly, it was founded um, and actually only just recently opened. I think this year um, by. Uh, an ex Claridge's pastry chef. Wow. Okay. So Im- immediately when I read about this, obviously my ears were pricked and yeah, I was yeah. like, oh, that's exciting. Obviously they've gone vegan and they've started their own cookie place. Um, they're delicious. I can't overstate how incredibly delicious these cookies are. And I have actually just eaten one about an hour and a half ago and it was a uh, chocolate and peanut butter pretzel cookie. Wow. <laughs> and um, it's it was stuffed with loads of peanut butter and all sorts of things. And um, I would definitely recommend those. So I've got a box of six. So I've probably got another two if I'm lucky and my husband hasn't eaten the rest of them. Um, <laughs> I was <laughs> I was, I was, dead impressed with that. So I would definitely recommend it to anybody. Okay, I'll definitely check that out. That sounds, uh, that does sound good to be honest. And anything else? Or is that it? You're just eating cookies? I've just been eating, just been stuffing my face with cookies. So then the other stuff I've been eating, I've been eating quite a lot of tofu because uh, I got some tofu from uh, craft, it's craft tofu from Miso, uh, who are Miso Tasty, uh, who make among, you know, lots of other things. But basically it's high-end tofu. So some of it you get like firm stuff and then there's a kind of like more flimsy stuff. So I was just having like a massive toffee thing at the moment. So I've made a toffee and peanut uh, curry, which was absolutely amazing, even if I say so myself. Um, and then I've just been having like, you know, toffee with fake eggs. So toffee scramble. Yeah. Do you like toffee scramble? Yeah, I do. Yeah, it's delicious. Yeah, yeah and I'm great. And then I, I kind of tried to do a like a fake egg mayonnaise sandwich with toffee, which wasn't quite successful, but... Um, but yeah, oh, so I've cool. eaten a heck of a lot of tofu in the last few weeks. So, Sarah Connish, what have you been eating then? So you're full of beans. I'm full of beans, literally. <laughs> um, okay, what have I been eating? I went to the vegan supermarket. Okay. Ash, do you know what this vegan supermarket is? Have you heard about this? Well, it's, I'm guessing it's a supermarket that largely sells vegan products. It is. So there's the, it's called The Vegan Kind, um, and The Vegan Kind is actually – uh, like an actual physical supermarket that's based in Enfield, which is not too far from me. So I went up there and um, wandered in. And it's, do you know what? It's actually really weird, the fact that you go into a shop and everything's vegan. Because obviously that doesn't happen, does it, very uh, frequently? It must be so quite disconcerting. It was a little bit. And every single shelf, I was like, oh, could buy that, could buy that, could buy that. Um, and actually, it's a bit naughty because there was just so many sweet treats and like all of the crisps and all of the kind of naughty stuff. So basically, anyway, so you, just, you just bought loads of vegan junk food basically yeah bought a load of that bought a load of vego bars i mean honestly oh, it was, wow. um, good. And, and ate the whole thing um but also they've just gone online um so i wanted to mention that because now everybody can go to uh the vegan kind supermarket okay um and order whatever they want um so they've only got one shop but if you happen to be anywhere else um then you can you can go online and and order some bits and pieces and i think it's great because you know it's good to support vegan businesses isn't it so um they're doing it they're doing a cool thing so i wanted to give them a bit of a shout out um so basically they've just been eating loads of sweets and cakes and cookies which is not particularly healthy but hey um, it's still lockdown so you know you, you got to exactly. keep yourself up somehow haven't you absolutely Okay, now we are going to talk about what we're curious about this week. Um, 
And I think I mentioned at the beginning that we were going to talk a little bit about Burger King. And when I say we, I mean Ashley. um, Okay. Because I think he's got some information to share with us about Burger King. What is it? Well, okay. So basically what happened was the CEO of Burger King UK, a guy called Alistair Murdoch, did an interview with the Iron newspaper. And he he, he dropped a couple of bombshells. Um, Firstly, the the Rebel Whopper Burger, which is, I think is... um, uh, basically their kind of equivalent of a Beyond Meat type burger, is coming back. Um, and secondly, that Burger King are allegedly committing to have 50% of their range plant-based by 2030. So they've got plenty of time to do it. But um, I, I, one of the weird things, Sarah, is I think that – do you remember last year when Burger King launched uh, the Rebel Whopper anyway? Do you remember that time? Yeah, it was shit because they launched it and it was actually vegetarian. And they and that they, they sort of launched it, didn't they, with this big fanfare? And then everyone was like, "Oh, you've put mayonnaise in it, and also it's cooked on the same grills as the rest of the stuff." And it was a bit of a bit of a mess, really, wasn't it, from uh, from Burger King's perspective in terms of how it landed? And I think everybody in the vegan community was a bit pissed off. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, it's quite interesting. So I wrote this story uh, for Transitional Earth website, give that a plug. Um, And uh, there were a lot of people commenting on kind of vegan websites and they're still not really forgiven Burger King and I don't think they really trust them, which is weird because it's kind of, Mm. you know, the level of trust for McDonald's is kind of higher than Burger King. Um, You know, the McDonald's Beyond Burger coming soon. So um, it'd be interesting to see what what it's like. They've also got a chicken base one the chicken royal burger apparently coming um and you know well, i did the- used to really like that when i was younger i did used to really like the chicken royale which i think is what it's called rather than the chicken royal just saying obviously my knowledge of burger king is apparently better than yours which is worrying um but i i did used to really like that so i do i do look forward to that um and i am quite glad that they brought the rebel whopper back because you could have it couldn't you just if you'd ordered it without mayonnaise and you know it's a bit of a kind of faff and but yeah but, but i wouldn't you know. have eaten it because they cook it on the same they cook it on the same griddles as they cook yeah it, so, i mean it wouldn't do it you know it's, for me exactly. that's like you know lining the sand and stuff so it's not really good enough is it i mean actually burger king have let me down a little bit recently um anyways because of the what they did for international women's day which i won't harp on about but i'm sure that lots of people saw it including yourself ash but yeah, they did sure. say that um <laughs> well it was a tweet that they were clearly trying to aggravate people into creating a little bit of noise but they said that women belonged in the kitchen which (laughs) which but and and what they were trying to do was to make a positive out of a negative and launch their um they did a a scholarship for um employees of burger king female employees of burger king to to help them become chefs um and i just thought it was a bit disingenuous and terrible comms and just embarrassing um so hopefully the launch of their new vegan range as it continues to roll out will be a little bit more impressive than some of their past efforts i think that's fair to say um but something else that we were curious about this week or something i was curious about is actually kind of related to this um in a way do you know where in the world you can get kfc vegan nuggets No, but I'm guessing it's probably potentially. It's either going to be in, well. It's not going to be the US. It's probably it's probably in the Far East somewhere. So you can get them in the US, actually. Apparently, I, I think they did a trial last year where you could get them all over California. I guess, obviously, California being 
I don't know, the capital of veganism or something. Um, but also China, and they're really popular. And not just KFC chicken nuggets, but um, there was this whole article that I read in The Guardian the other day. Um, and it was basically talking about how concerns over kind of carbon emissions and um, food shortages and that type of stuff have actually eroded um, China's traditional uh kind of primacy that they placed on uh, meat consumption as a bit of a symbol of wealth. Yeah. Um, and everybody's starting to really sort of pick up on vegan plant-based food. Um, actually, there was also, and apparently, and I didn't know this, maybe maybe you did, and it's something that just went under my radar, but in 2016, um, the Chinese government actually outlined a plan to cut the country's meat intake by 50%. That sounds vaguely familiar, yeah. It's. I mean, it was. Yeah, I was. I was really surprised by it, and I think that um, initially they launched a bit of an awareness campaign, and then probably thought that actually it wasn't necessarily very popular. So they sort of they sort of rode back from it a little bit. Um, but that's not stopped, um, particularly some of the kind of younger people within China, um, you know, really picking up on some of this stuff. And then there's some new Chinese uh, alternative food brands that have launched as well, mm. which. Um, are kind of really picking up. So one of them is called Omnifoods, which I think you've probably heard of because I think you talked about them before, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, yes, yeah. Um, I think they're so they're Hong Kong based, and I think they make a lot of kind of pork uh, substitute um, type type stuff. Um, so obviously, you know, the world is starting to move quite quickly towards towards veganism. And um, and what I was curious to know, Ash, is this, if you think that veganism has now hit the mainstream. Well, you know, I think. Potentially in China, it could be. I mean, the the one thing you didn't mention was that Oatly uh, went to China and basically got a load of investment from Chinese, mm. well, the investment wing of the Chinese government. Um, and also on the cultured meat, so the meat grown in, in lab, there's quite a few Chinese companies working on that because, I mean, potentially it's a huge market. Yeah, I think it's with China, if you've got like a planned economy as they have, you can, governments can kind of make these kind of pronouncements and changes and follow through just basically because of the nature of, of who they are. As for the rest of the world, I think it ha- just has to be more about people persuading other people and and people's, you know, ch- uh, taste changing. Um, but, you know, that's a very long answer to the short question, is veganism going mainstream? I think, it, it. you know, we are getting to that point. You know, I think that it's just... I think the the climate thing and also coronavirus last year have just again just mm. kept it very much in the spotlight and people yeah. you know people are, I think even if they're not actually embracing a vegan diet they're certainly on the way people are you know I think if anything it's made flexitarianism very very mainstream and I think the flexitarianism yeah includes a lot of vegan food now whereas before it might have been like oh i'm a flexitarian i'm having egg mayonnaise and cheese sandwiches now it has become more plant-based so we're getting yeah. there but i think also yeah. we we skewed though aren't we because you know we're, we're coming looking from the uk the uk probably leads the way in europe so you know in terms of the number of vegans with home of veganuary all the rest of it. the vegan society started here there's always been traditionally more vegetarians in the uk than the rest of europe so you know it's yeah. happening whereas maybe somewhere like france or or switzerland or you know somewhere like that is, is probably not as mainstream and there are a lot of battles i think that people can have to fight you know against farmers to be to be honest to kind of move it along yeah well it's, a, it's certainly there's certainly a lot of hurdles aren't there i think that um i read the other day that something like six percent 
of uh, people in the States say that they're vegan now, which is quite significant, isn't it? C- considering that they were saying that sort of 1% um, of people in the, both in the UK and in the US were, were identifying as vegan. But this, um, this was kind of the latest uh, statistics that came out in January 2021. Um, and obviously it's really increasing. And I think Veganuary had another record-breaking year, didn't it? So um, I half think it's a million, only a matter of I think, time. Uh, the figures were half a million people, did they? Half a million people. Yeah, I mean, it's just a matter of time, isn't it? It does feel like it's sort of verging on, verging on the mainstream now and certainly more people are talking about it. So um, long may it continue. So when vegan food does go mainstream, as inevitably it will... Um, Two people that are very in a very good position to benefit are our two guests on the show today. So firstly, we've got Tammy Fry from Fry's Family Food. Uh, and coming up after her, we've got Louise Palmer Masterston, who's the CEO of a restaurant called Stem and Glory. So uh, Tammy, uh, Tammy is the, the daughter of the founders of Fry's Family Food. Do you, I mean, Fry's Family Food, if you've been a vegan at any length of time, you'll know their products. They do fantastic burgers. They've just launched the Big Fry, which is their kind of super meaty type burger. But they do like chicken and scallopy type things and and all sorts of other things. And I know you're a big fan of their sausage roll, Sarah Collins. I absolutely am. Yeah, definitely. They're, yeah, they're one of the uh, originals, aren't they, when it comes to vegan food. Back, back in the days when you couldn't go anywhere and get anything vegan they were kind of the one thing that you could clutch hold of they were your staples and but they still are you know so she's going to explain two things firstly how they started and it's a great story uh if you've seen the film babe you will know there's a few clues about kind of how uh, her parents did start on that journey (laughs) did did they have a talking pig they did have a talking pig (laughs) No, sadly, not a talking pig. Um, but um, it's a really good story. And then she's going to talk about, you know, how the how the business is involved. And I think called the Live Kindly Collective. Uh, have you heard of that, Sarah? I haven't. But let's hear about it from uh, from the horse's mouth, I guess. Uh, absolutely. Okay, so here's Tammy. Thanks, Ashley. I really appreciate the opportunity to chat to you today. Yeah, that was great to speak to you. Um, so uh i um I mean, when i was looking at kind of uh, at, at fries i i went on your website and i sat and watched the video and i wasn't really aware of the kind of backstory of fries but it's a great story so do you want to just share some of that story with us yeah i mean i think so. I, I, I tell it so often and i always worry that people have heard it all before but um hopefully it's new to some of your listeners um, Fryers was one of the pioneers in the plant-based meat space. Um, we started our company 30 years ago, so we were one of the very, very early plant-based meat producers, and um, obviously from Africa. So, uh, you know, Wally Fry, who's my father, was um, a goat farmer. He used to breed goats for slaughter, and um, mm-hmm. my mom was a, a born vegetarian, so she had never eaten meat. Um, much to the dismay of her family, you know, it was it was not the done thing in South Africa going back fifty, you know, fifty years ago. And, uh, and then when I was born, I mean, I was born on this uh, farm where these goats were being um, bred, and I made connections with a lot of these animals. And uh, to me, a goat was equal to a dog, and so. Mm wouldn't eat a dog you wouldn't eat a goat and we used to name some of the goats so that they wouldn't be sent off for slaughter so they kind of crossed that very fine line of being uh from livestock to being the family pets um uh-huh. and 
you know, I've always been an animal lover and I guess I've always had a lot of questions about the food. It's always been a massive interest of mine. That's from, you know, when I was very, very young. And so I used to challenge my father on what he was eating at the kitchen table and ask him questions about, you know, if he was eating drumsticks, I would ask him, you know, those aren't drumsticks. You played drums with drumsticks and <laughs> to explain that no, it's actually a chicken's leg. And then I was horrified that people would even think about eating chickens. And and so through a lot of pressure, um, my father decided to um, stop the, the goats uh, breeding business and uh, move into the construction industry. And he, um, he started off small. Uh, he was always an entrepreneur. So he started off small and he ended up building, you know, apartment blocks and factories. And eventually he built a piggery. And I think for him, his, his moments of like where he really became conscious was when he went to into that piggery and saw it um, in operation. And he was so proud of his job, but then when he saw it, he just realized um, it all kind of hit him. And he walked back into the house that evening and he announced that he was never going to eat meat again. Um, but wow. he was like, you know, your three meats and one veg kind of guy mm. who was really trying to get me to eat meat, saying, you know, like a typical dad, you need to eat meat. Yeah, sure. Strong, my girl. That was the prevailing belief system, especially in South Africa, um, you know, when I was born, you know, almost four years ago. So you kind of started the business, I guess, from a kitchen table and it just grew quickly from there. Yeah, so we started making um, meat analogs just for our, for ourselves. Um, my mm-hmm. dad found it very hard to go from eating meat to eating, you know, broccoli and carrots and potatoes. And that was a massive mm-hmm. challenge for him. And he, he said, I really need a crutch to help me out. And so he started to develop the products at home in the kitchen. And it was never intended to be a commercial enterprise. Fries was not, you know, we weren't jumping on the on the bandwagon of, of some financial opportunity or some business opportunity, there were almost no vegans <laughs> in South Africa. There might've been a handful, but it definitely wasn't an op- a big market opportunity. I, I, I was going to ask you about this actually. So, cause you know, you, you imagine, uh, you know, vegetarian vegan business in South Africa, what in the seventies or eighties, you know, the, you know, there surely weren't that many vegetarians or vegans anyway. I mean, what was kind of the response to the local community to what you were doing? Um, You know, we started off very small. So we'd go to markets and we would sell one or two little boxes of sausages that were all handcrafted in our kitchen. And we slowly realized there were actually a few vegetarians around. Um, It was almost like they were all in the closet at that time. You know, nobody wanted to talk about if you were vegetarian because you you would have to defend your choices and and people were very judgmental of that that lifestyle choice. Um, But there were a few vegetarians and and we started to grow the business in a very organic way. Um, We we were never met with, you know, uh, people weren't – weren't negative about what we were doing, but I guess they were indifferent and and they didn't think that there was anything to it and that plant-based was ever going to become anything big or great. Um, Uh So it was just always going to be something niche that a couple of people were going to have. And then Wally did end up getting a supermarket listing for 400 stores in South Africa. And I think that was the turning point um, for us as a family. We had to quickly scale up our kitchen operation into something that could produce 
for 400 mm-hmm. floors. And you can imagine, I mean, it was just crazy. We, we had no machinery to produce the food. We were using like a food processor in the kitchen and some cooking pots. And Wally used to measure off the sausages with a ruler and uh, tie wow. pieces of string, you know, by hand. So now you can imagine, yeah, yeah. oh, you hear 400 stores now are going to list your products. You need packaging. You need a website. You need a food production facility. And I think this is where he and my mum, Debbie, really um, stepped in and, and made it all happen. And even us as uh, young girls growing up, we would spend our weekends at the factory packing boxes. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, we were involved from a very, very young age in the Fry brand and uh, sure. growing up. So what was the, the first international, you know, country outside South Africa that took, took your your food? It was the UK. So it was, okay. And we had uh, Lisa and Pat Drummy. It was a family, also vegan, very passionate about what we were doing, shared our purpose and our mission to change the broken food system and uh, to mm-hmm. factory farming. And they, they were so passionate about it. They had no prior experience. They had a small health shop and they were the first people to buy a container of fries from South Africa and start distributing it in the UK. Um, mm-hmm. And again, it was very small beginnings. You know, I think people like right now, plant-based is, is growing at such an incredible rate and it's so mm-hmm. available. When you go back to that time, it was so difficult just to sell one box of vegan sausages. Um, I can imagine. You know, yeah. it, it, there wasn't really, it wasn't, a, it was never intended. I think that that really, we, we were very authentic and we're still authentic about what, what we stand for and what we care for and what our purpose is and why we go to work every day as a family. Mm-hmm. And um, so, can, yeah. can I, I mean, can I ask, so the family's still involved in the business? I mean, obviously your key role is global brand lead. I mean, what, what, what does that entail? And, you know, are, are your parents or your, uh, or your siblings involved in, in, still involved in the business? Yes. My sister's, um, uh, runs the, um, NPD, a uh, product development for the live collective. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my brother-in-law, Sean, is uh, the managing director for the ANZ region for the Live Kindly Collective. And then Wally and Debbie um, are, you know, they're much older now. So I would say they're semi-retired. Wally will never stop because he's uh-huh. very um, purpose-driven and he, he really has, you know, a passion for this. So there's no age where that ends. So he's involved very much uh, from an inspiration point of view. He... Um, he supports, you know, the developments of the value system in the Live Kindly Collective. And it's really unique, you know, because we've got this incredible collective of, um, of, of founders and entrepreneurs. And then we also have um, leaders um, in business part of our, you know, as part of the same business. So it's mm-hmm. really like the merging of the two rivers and finding a new third way. Um, of doing business and it's incredibly exciting to be part of this uh, journey um so, we all learn so, from each other so just to clarify then the, the live kindly business is collective i guess of growing vegan brands that, that kind of work together is that how you describe it yeah so um so we have acquired you know several vegan plant-based brands um our mission is all aligned, which is which is what's so incredible because you're bringing all this combined energy to the mission. And we really mm-hmm. understood that 
collaboration was required and a sense of urgency was required. We couldn't just hold on to it ourselves and keep growing organically. It was really, you know, I think the time has come where change is needed and it's not needed over the long term. We there's we ha- we are facing massive um catastrophes actually, you know, the end of the ocean mm. ecosystem. We're looking at um, the sixth mass extinction. We're seeing the loss of biodiversity and fauna and flora at rates that we've never seen before. Um global mm. warming is destroying uh, you know, so so many natural, beautiful places, and uh, and forcing many um, animals into extinction. Uh, we're seeing systems and factory farming systems that you know are just are just terrible. Um, and so humanity really has to change, and there's a real sense of urgency about that. So for us to come together with other people that are passionate about what we're passionate about and join our energy. Um, we feel that we are far more powerful and we can make this, we can scale uh, the business at speed, which is what we feel is necessary at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, just moving on now to talk about, you know, your actual products. So um, is there, you know, do they differ between different countries in terms of the fact that, you know, one country is more schnitzels or one country is more burgers or, and also, I mean, obviously veganism has massively grown in the last like five, six, seven years. You know, is there been a country you'd have thought a decade ago, look, you know, it will never work there, will never work there, um, that, you know, that you're in and is growing really, really quickly? Um, yeah, absolutely. So the first part of your question, um, we have uh, over 50 product SKUs or, or variants. Um, we do have different products for different markets. For example, in the UK, we have a large chilled uh, heat and eat range, and that range is exclusively sold in the UK. Um, we have a you know, we don't want to add preservatives to our products. And therefore, if we had to send chilled products from a single facility, say in South Africa, over to the UK and, and have shelf life, we would need to add preservatives. So we prefer to actually produce it in the UK for the UK and for the UK consumer. And that range mm-hmm. incredibly well. I think our pastry has to be the best in the world. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, and, we, but then and we've got some other products, you know, for example, in South Africa, we sell a plant-based boravos, and a boravos is a traditional South African sausage. Um, okay. Famous. All the South Africans listening to, to this podcast will know exactly what I'm talking about. And that mm-hmm. has been launched into South Africa now um, and has had incredible success. Um, so, yeah, there are some small variations by country. Uh, you know, our core range is available everywhere. So the schnitzels, the burgers, the hot dogs, the nuggets, um, chicken burgers, those are sold, you know, all over in all 28 countries where we sell our products. Mm-hmm. And is there a country that surprised you recently? Um, you know, there are a few. <laughs> There's a Thailand, which has been, um, we've seen incredible growth out of, you know, such a small country. And, uh, it's more some of our smaller countries, obviously, because the opportunity is so much greater. So we're working from a small base. Um, mm-hmm. Even Germany has, has you know, I know that Germany is is a very developed country and we're seeing fast growth of, of veganism in Germany. But I always saw it as such a, such a um, cultural meat-eating country, you know. 
Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. actually surprised me how Germany has grown. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, the competition, I guess, is a bit, you know, more diverse and hotter now than it was, say, a decade ago. You know, you've got all these other people starting to do vegan burgers. So you've hit back with what you've called the Big Fry Burger. So do you want to tell me about this? And when, when are we going to see this in the UK? So we started developing the Big Fry Burger about six years ago. So it was actually oh, wow. it was okay. actually before a lot of the plant-based burgers had even hit the market um, mm-hmm. but the way we are um, as a family we we really are uh, we try our best like we don't put a product onto the market until we are 100 percent happy with it it doesn't matter what everybody else is doing i mean the opportunities are so great if you think how big the meat industry is and if plant-based is growing at the rate it is we really haven't scratch the surface of how many plant-based burgers we could actually have on the market. So we're not worried about Mm -hmm. people getting to market first or we really want to come out with a very, very good product that we're happy with the ingredients. And that's one thing that fries, I think, goes the extra length on is we're feeding this food to our children. And when you do that, it's a very personal, um, you know, buying ingredients becomes very personal. And, Hmm. So we do a lot of research on our ingredients. We don't just add additives. I mean, our plant-based burger is one of the cleanest burgers on the market. Um, when you look at the ingredients label, it's short. You understand the ingredients. There are mm-hmm. very, very few um, additives, you know, when, when you start to compare. And I think we were really trying to achieve that because it's easy to throw a lot of other things in there <laughs> to make it good. It's sure. hard to do when you're using a limited list of ingredients that you prepared to eat yourself so it is challenging but we're very happy with the product we've had incredible feedback incredible growth we've recently listed in the uk and in south africa i mean and in australia um, and mm-hmm. it's been in south africa for some time now and the feedback has been sure. phenomenal we're very mm-hmm. And um, you know, one thing that you're doing this year is you've got quite a close working relationship with Veganuary. Yes, yeah. Um, every year. I mean, from the inception of Veganuary, Matt and Jane and I got together and we were uh, one of the uh, sponsors right from the very beginning. And um, we just didn't have the, um, the, the finance, the money available to become one of the official sponsors. Um, but this year we became an official sponsor of January, mm-hmm. but I've been an ambassador for Veganuary from the very beginning, from the first year. And, you know, I think it's an incredible uh, way of advocating for plant-based because it gives people an opportunity to give it a try without fully committing. And I think people in general uh, find it difficult to make a hundred percent commitments where there's no gray area for the rest of their lives. You know, you have to have massive motivation to do that. Um, hmm. So this gives you like, you know, you just dip your toe in the water um, and and give it a try and see if it works for you. And I think people like that, that they don't have to be committed for the rest of their lives. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting even in the UK, even some 
conservative MPs who, you know, obviously they're kind of more centre-right party, who would be the, the last people you think you're doing. They've got a group of them doing Veganuary. So it'd be interesting to see if any of those carry on after uh, Veganuary finishes. But, yeah, it seems to be obviously uh, ubiquitous. And do you see a spike in your sales in January, traditionally? Um, definitely in the UK we do because the UK has got such incredible buy-in and um, exposure for the campaign. And some of our other regions, mm-hmm. not as much. For example, Australia, it's not as well-known a campaign. It's definitely growing. We've seen the sign-up numbers growing exponentially. We write backing the campaign and getting key influences involved. So I think it will grow. Um, you know, as you say, like to people people that ask about plant-based, um, it's if you've never tried it, you can't really make it, you know, you've got to use your own um, your own body and and eat plant-based foods and then determine if it's something that's going to work for you or not. There's so much, uh, there's so many fads out there and so much information on the internet about all different diets. There's a lot of fear-mongering as well and so it creates confusion. Mm-hmm. I say just give it a go for a month and try it yourself and then make your own mm-hmm. choice. So, you know, this is probably a good lead into. I was going to ask you about your book. So you've, you've written a book called Made with Love and Plants, which I think is, is on sale already in South Africa, but it's coming to the UK fairly soon. So, you know, what was the inspiration be, be behind actually launching that book? And what's the book about? Is it, is it mainly recipes or is it like a, like sort of semi-biographical or what, what exactly is that? So the book is really to support people in a transition to plant-based diet. Um, I have a blog called Seed Blog, and I started to run workshops in South Africa um, about five years ago. I would travel around and help people, mums, you know, families um, to make this transition to a plant-based diet. You know, what do you feed your children? How do you manage breastfeeding? Um, Can you go through pregnancy on a vegan diet? I had so many questions coming up, and so I started to capture Mm. the answers to these questions. I also developed my own plant-based food pyramid, but that was a long time ago, maybe when I was 16 and competing. I competed for my country for many, many years on a plant-based diet, um, you know, at an international level. So I developed my own plant-based food pyramid um, that I used to use to put together my meals. Um, and so I've brought this all into the book. So it's really to, it's a really to help people to make a transition. Um, and then there's, of course, there's over 80 plant-based recipes, most of them whole food recipes, but there's a section on called Plants on Fire, which um, is all around the barbecue, and there we there I've got recipes using plant-based meats. Um, there's also a section on gut health, um, food on the go, and lunchbox solutions for kids. Uh, there's batch cooking, so for people who are time poor, these are simple recipes that people, everyday people, not you know, high-level chefs, you can probably put all mm-hmm. the ingredients in your pantry on any given day and you can cook most of the recipes in the book. Um, so that's really, it, it's just a guide. It's, it's you know, whoever great. whoever it reaches, it reaches, and I hope it helps, you know, a few people to make that, to take that final step and, and go plant-based. Okay, and that, is say, is, is available via Amazon in the UK in March? It'll be available on Amazon and Booktopia and um, and all, you know, all the online book retailers. Mm-hmm. 
Tammy, thank you so much for your time. Um, you know, I guess one last question would be, you know, where do you think, you know, your business or veganism in general is going to go in the future? Is, is there a, any kind of trends that you're picking up on at the moment or anything in particular that you, you think might happen? Um, veganism will continue to grow at um, unprecedented rates uh, because it is necessary for the survival of humanity. And as people learn that and they are more open-minded about it um, and they want to contribute positively to society in a more conscious way, we will see uh, veganism and plant-based diets. And even even if it's not veganism, we will definitely see flexitarianism um, become mm. the new norm. You know, people will maybe eat meat only once a month, but the rest of the month they're eating plants. And and that that's going to be a requirement for humanity. So the second interview we've got is with Louise Palmer Masterston. So she is CEO of Stem and Glory, uh, which is a restaurant that if you're in London or Cambridge, um, I think they actually started in Cambridge, you'll be very familiar with. Sarah, have you been to Stem and Glory? I have, actually, yeah. The, the, I've been to the London one. Um, and, uh, it, yeah, it was great. I've actually only been once, which is super weird, but I only really discovered it um 2019 which meant that i had only been once and then obviously coronavirus hit and i i couldn't i couldn't go back um but uh, i have noticed in fact that they started doing uh, meal kits now on their website and i have or i've ordered some um so i'm hoping that i will be able to kind of taste some of those um uh kind of ready-made uh offerings pretty soon so, I mean, it's interesting you say that because she talks about, you know, how they had all these big plans and expanding the business and everything was going brilliantly. And then obviously COVID here and it's not great if you're a restaurateur. Uh, it's not a great, great time. But she talks about how they've kind of reinvented themselves um, and also just kind of where she thinks vegan food and vegan restaurants are going to go in the future. And there's also an embarrassing bit where I plead with her to bring vegan lasagna back to their menu. Um, but you know, they took it off. I loved it a lot and hopefully they'll bring it back, but one day soon. But anyway, here is Louise. I just want to kick off by asking sort of, you know, what was your journey to actually start in the restaurant? What, what, what was the initial inspiration? <laughs> um, well, I think I've actually been rolling the idea of a vegan restaurant around in my head for a very, very long time. <clears throat> I mean, literally, you know, almost decades. <laughs> um, uh, Stem and Glory had various incarnations within another business, which I owned, um, which was a leisure business. So I've kind of been experimenting with uh, the, the food within different spaces before. But then it was 2016, the end of 2016, when an opportunity came within the leisure business still to... Um, open a full-blown restaurant and it was in a central enough location in Cambridge so we went for it um and that was when Stem and Glory was born. So were you you know were you a vegan at that time or you know or did you spot there's an opportunity to you know open something that you know vegan for vegans in Cambridge? Yeah that's interesting I get often asked this I'm 100% I was vegan at that time and had been for a long time my yeah. entire motivation is as a vegan person. Um, I do understand that people are kind of jumping on opportunities now, but um, mine comes from a place of being vegan. So what was, your, you know, when you say what was your own personal journey, was there a catalyst that, you know, that pushed you into veganism? Yeah, there was a catalyst, absolutely. I mean, I think everyone has their way, don't they? Some people come to it slowly. 
Um, but for me, it was one of those aha moments that, that literally in an instant, and it was when I was a teenager. So that's really a long time ago now. You know, mm-hmm. without giving too much away, we are talking multiple decades. Um, yeah, I was you're a, not the only one. Don't worry. I was a teenager, and it, it was literally someone introduced me to the idea of uh, compassionate eating, and I'd never ever considered it before. But when I did considered it. It was a moment, and I just realized a moment of realization, and I just realized I could not go on eating animals anymore because it just completely contravened everything that was actually in my heart. So I, uh-huh. I stopped eating meat on the spot, and I never looked back. I, I never ate meat since that point. Um, and um, what was the um, with um, Stem and Glory? Um, you know, how would you describe it as, as a restaurant to anyone? I mean, because I appreciate obviously not everyone lives in London or Cambridge. So how would you describe it? Well, it's kind of the food that I myself wanted to eat, but could never find anywhere. Um, I mean, if you roll back sort of decades ago, sort of early veganism in in, the country, in this country and possibly all over the world, the food, the, the cuisine was not there. You know, it was a, like a moral choice, an ethical choice, but nobody was really doing anything interesting with the cuisine. So I started cooking for myself. Um, at that time, I've experimented with all kinds of cooking from raw you know, I spent time in Asia and, and so kind of through my own evolution of you know, vegan cuisine as a kind of culinary thing rather than just food for the sake of it. Um, yeah. And so, so it became, I mean, I never managed to find another establishment which was serving the food that I wanted to eat. So that was where I, I kind of started rolling the idea of a restaurant around and started kind of early incarnations of it. So I would say it's 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 we're not on the junk spectrum, not at all. We're not even really on the comfort section, although we do have kind of identifiable sort of vaguely comfort dishes. But all of our food, we don't use processed carbs, for example. Um, mm-hmm. We're kind of surfing the line of healthy but still delicious. So we don't kind of ram health down your throat in terms of only raw or anything like that. It's easily accessible food that people will enjoy, but it's healthy at the same time. And what, what, what has been the most successful dish? I mean, I mentioned the lasagna, being a big yeah, fan of that. You, you mentioned the lasagna. The lasagna is taking a bit of a break off the menu at the moment. But our most popular dish, we launched a new menu um, in October. And our most popular dish on our new menu is our house-made Swede gnocchi. So again, it's a kind of comfort known dish. This The second one, actually, is we do a, an activated charcoal fettuccine dish as well. Both, both of them are gluten-free, as is our lasagna. Uh, and so the, the fettuccine, the Swede gnocchi, they're, they're two of our best-selling ones currently. Swede gnocchi at the moment, we're selling a lot of on our online store as well. Uh-huh. Um, and then just kind of going back to uh, you, uh, sort of the development of the restaurant. So you raise money using cedars.com, which is a, well, it's a, it's a platform where, you know, you put out your manifesto or your business plan and then people then, then invest. Do you, I mean, why did you do that? Uh, why did you choose Cedars and why did you need that money? And then secondly, you know, do you think it now is almost impossible to start a vegan restaurant with have, without having some kind of financial backing like that? Yeah, I mean, actually, we've we've done multiple crowdfunding raises right back from our first restaurant at the end of 2016. So at that time, we raised money on Crowdfunder, which is a rewards-based crowdfund. And I think we raised just under 100000 then. It was a very successful raise. And then we did a second um, one on Crowdcube, which was at the beginning of 2018. That was for the London restaurant. And that was just a record-breaking raise. We raised 630000 um, wow. And then the Cedars one we did last year was kind of like a little top-up raise, really. We were, at the beginning of last year, we were heading for a large Series A raise where we were going to raise the funds to have multiple 
outlets within the next couple of years after that. But obviously that got spoiled rather because of what happened next. So we did a small kind of interim raise on Cedars in the middle mm-hmm. of last year, which was also successful, fortunately. Um, and that gave us, you know, the funding we needed just to take the next steps to sort of kind of not 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 pivot exactly, but just to reposition ourselves ready for what's happening next. Um, of course, no one really knows, but we've managed to evolve the business during that time with the funds raised. Sure. Second we'll talk, Sorry. We talk, let's talk about that in a, in a minute. But I mean, um, so in terms of geographical locations, you're obviously Cambridge and London. So there are plans to open more stores in other places. Yeah, I mean, we had a, a not exactly aggressive rollout plan, but we did have a strategic rollout plan, which was based firmly on um, new outlets, you know, in, in, in kind of cities that we highlighted in, in the UK. Um you know, obviously, uh, we haven't abandoned the restaurant rollout plan, but what we have got now, which is what this hiatus in normal operations has allowed us, is to develop our online offering, which is something we very much had in mind, but never really had the time to do. So in that regard, this time has been a bit of a blessing. So what we're going to roll out from this point onwards is, is a kind of more more um, sensible, I suppose, and cautious restaurant rollout, but very much um, with the online together. So there's a synergy between the two things. They're not really a separate business. They're the same. One supports the other. And certainly the feedback we're getting, because we have a we have a thousand strong investor community from our, our raises. And, you know, we've got a lot of people all over the country, not just in Cambridge and London where we've got restaurants. So it's really, really nice to be able to send food out to, to different parts of the country which don't have access to our restaurants. And you've started doing meal kits, haven't you, as well? So, yeah, yeah, that's on the website. Um, to uh, just just quickly to clear, finish up what you asked about the restaurants is it possible to open a restaurant without funding <laughs> well I mean our first restaurant we managed to to open with just under 100,000 investment now our London operation was much more massive I mean it's a restaurant it's a proper restaurant you you can't open uh, a restaurant of any kind of size and kind of sophistication uh, without funding it's, it's an expensive business you know it's very very capital intense um, you could start a small operation, which is what we did at first. You still need amount of money, but not a massive, massive amount. But if you want to evolve into a full-blown restaurant, then yes, you will need to raise some funds. Mm-hmm. Sorry, so meal, meal kits. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, more generally, so I guess meal kits is part of the COVID conversation. So, you know, I, what, what point did you realise COVID was going to significantly disrupt what you did and you know when when did you go into meal kits and what type of meal kits are they and how do they work yeah I mean it's it's a good question about what point we realized um because I think everyone knew the writing was on the wall and we were just on borrowed time really and it was funny because I went to last February middle of February it was 13th of February I was in Amsterdam at the Global Restaurant Investment Forum where we'd been invited to pitch for a thing it's called it's like a dragon's den style thing it's called launchbox so they had five brands pitching for investment basically it was kind of like fake investment i suppose because the global restaurant investment forum has people from all over the world from the restaurant community and lots of investors and anyway we won we basically we won most investable concept so i came back from that and i was flying high you know but even i remember being at the airport on the way back and you could see people were people were acting differently already and the right mm. already on the wall and i came back to london after that by the time we got to the end of Feb, early March, you could see bookings starting to dwindle. And, you know, we the long and the short of it is we actually closed before we were told to because we could just mm. see what was happening. And, and that was that really. And then, as you know, everything kind of changed. Sure. So, yeah, we start. I mean, as soon as we were closed, you know, after the initial shock, about two weeks, I suppose, when he was at everyone was like, you know, shell shocked, didn't know what was going to happen. But then when, when a few of the government schemes started to be announced, 
yeah, we started to feel creative basically. And so we started work. I mean, we went through a, a complete rebrand uh, with someone called Aphrodite Crasso, who's an extremely excellent designer. I mean, and produced, you will have seen our packaging, an absolutely fabulous yeah. result. So we went for a rebrand, started to evolve what our online offering would be, which actually does include recipe kits, meal kits, but it also includes ready meals. So we're actually sending out the meals that we serve in the restaurant all packaged up, ready to finish at home. Um, and, yeah, so, I mean, we we kind of started that in about kind of a late April, early May. It was kind of coming to fruition, and then we got open again, um, which actually turned out that, that kind of we got quite busy doing that first opening period from September, especially in October, and then closed again in November and again started to pick up with the online stuff again. And then when we got closed after Christmas, that was it. We finished the online and then we were fortunate to be able to launch that on the 26th of Jan. So mm-hmm. do you think, it's, I, I guess it's an interesting question around, do you think that that kind of meal kits, the cook at home stuff, you know, is that here to stay now? Is that like a permanent change in our, in the way that we consume food that, that has come about because of COVID? Yeah, or do you I think mean, you know the minute it's all done, we're going to be rushing back to restaurants, and that's it. Yeah, that's it's such an interesting question, isn't it? I mean, I, I honestly think it's here to stay, um, uh, but I do think people are going to rush back to restaurants too. What I think, what I hope will happen with us is that people will rush back to our restaurants, but people who don't live in cities where we have our restaurants will still continue to use our online service as well so we're hoping to just keep the things running side by side i mean certainly you know we've only been running the online store two weeks and it's gone a bit mad um yeah we're just going to concentrate on that now um there's talk now isn't there i've been able to open in april but we've got a good two month run at this i think to get it up and and operationally found so um one last question then so you know, lab processed meat. So there's a lot of talk about this kind of cultured meat and companies like Moser Meat now, actually the stuff that's in the lab as opposed to the plant-based stuff. Um, and we're probably about a couple of years away from that landing in the UK now. Is that something that you are interested in that you think you might serve? Or, you know, is it, again, you think it's something that some vegans might throw their hands up in horror and just not like the idea? Where, where do you stand on that? <laughs> well, um uh personally and professionally i mean i think lab grown meat is what will solve the meat eating thing because if you can get a product which is the same as meat that's not made from animals then i think people who won't eat vegan food because they prefer the taste of meat they might start eating it at that point because there's a lot of them that refuse to go anywhere near vegan food because they like them too much so i think hopefully that kind of a product will kind of solve that once and for all. And then I mean, that would make a massive difference in terms of the number of animals consumed. I, I'm not sure. I'm, I think you'll still get people who will refuse to do that and only go for authentic real meat, but you're always going to get a few, aren't you? Um, in terms of my personal view, I personally wouldn't eat it, but then I haven't eaten meat in such a long time. I wouldn't have any need to it. And it doesn't fit. certainly doesn't fit with the stem and glory man brand because we don't use fake meat meat now. So um, but no, I, I'm I'm excited to see the space develop, and you know, if it gets the people I know that eat meat and won't turn vegan to eat more plant based, then it's got to be a win win, really. Yeah. Well, you know, I, you know, it's really good to have this conversation with you because I'm loving the optimism. You know, I think that, you know, here, here we are. We're actually in February, and everything seems fairly grim and downbeat. And but you know, there there are things I think that are 
good that people have got to look forward to the return to restaurants you know the the fact that you know that they're able to buy your stuff you know all over the country now so there's lots of good things going on as well yeah there are lots of good things i mean it's been been a long old year isn't it and um I think, you know, you've got to face reality. Um, and I mean, of course, everyone's hoping that stuff goes back. But the, the longer this goes on, and, and you see signs of it all around now, the, the, what we emerge into isn't going to be the same. So you've got to be flexible. Um, and you've got to take opportunities where they rest instead of just waiting for everything to come back as it was. But certainly as a brand, you know, what where we are now um, is a lot better than, than this time last year. We've definitely evolved. Well, that's it, folks, for another episode of Vegan Curious. Um, we've had an absolutely jam-packed episode today. Um, I am very much full of cookie, and I'm actually just about to start in on cookie number two. Um, so I think I'm I'm going to head off and do that. And Ash, uh, I'm going to let you get on with doing something incredibly active, like cycling or working out in the garden or whatever else you're going to do. I'm going to be actually drinking tea and having a vegan donut, you know, but maybe. <laughs> We've got to, we've got to make the most of being unhealthy before uh, before we need to get back out there again and the sun starts shining. I, I think um, the next episode is going to be the kale special. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's going to be the de- the end of lockdown detox special. Yes, I think. Um, that, but I thank you. Do that. Thank you so much for listening. Um, thank you to our guest Tammy and Louise, and uh, remember to subscribe to Vegan Curious. We're available everywhere you get your podcasts: uh, Spotify, uh, Apple podcasts uh stitcher and tune in as well and um, we are also on social media at so vegan curious um so look us up and and chat to us there and in the meantime thanks for listening and we'll see you next time bye bye save the planet and make it heal you can help by eating a vegan meal come join us if you're vegan curious Tastes as good as being vegan feels Come join us if you're vegan curious And don't feel sad, don't feel blue So it ain't so bad, I swear it's true Just use the right condiments And you'll even like tofu don't be furious Just be vegan curious Life is good and life is sweet When on your plate there is no meat Come join us if you're vegan curious Come join us if you're vegan curious